reading from Matthew 3, 13 through 4, 11. It's our sermon text for the day. It's the baptism and temptation of Christ. So if you turn in your Bibles with me, we'll read that in a moment. This is Matthew's introduction to who Jesus is. He's about to do something that we could never do on our own. And it's a great passage. And one week probably does not do it justice, but if I want to finish Matthew before, before I die, <laughs> I don't want to slow down, because <laughs> it's a long book. So, uh, Before I read it, I do want to give you a book plug on temptation. I'll, I'll bring the book with me next week. I completely forgot it this morning. It's in my office. But it's called Tempted and Tried by Russell Moore. For those of you who are, who are readers, it's a great book talking about how we walk in the victory of Christ meditating on these passages of, of what Christ has done. And I've got, I got a lot out of his work uh, for my sermon and my prep. We studied it in school. Just remembering that Jesus was fully human as he fought temptation. He was genuinely tempted as a human being, fully God as well. And if that's confusing, it's a mystery. <laughs> but, but let's read the passage, and then we'll, we'll pray. It's Matthew 3.13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to, to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came, and they were ministering to him. And this is God's word. It's absolutely true, and he gives it to us because he loves us. Let's pray. Father and God, we read this as those who are tempted, uh, that we are sinners. And so I pray you would give us eyes to see our captain going forward to fight the battle that we could never fight and, and emerge victorious, that we might trust him more deeply. And so we ask for your spirit to come, to open our eyes, to make us teachable, uh, to give us the, the desire and the ability to repent so that the kingdom of heaven might come in more powerful ways in our lives. 
We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's start with a question, especially for the kids. Have you ever tried chipmunk fishing? Have you ever gone fishing for chipmunks? Anyone? It's, it's a real thing. You can YouTube this. No chipmunks are harmed in the process, so just <laughs> throw that qualification out there. <laughs> you take it a string, you get a, get a nut, and you tie it to the string at the end of a stick, and you tempt the little guy to come and wrestle with you. <laughs> to come and get, he grabs on, he tries to run off, and you can see this. People, right, people don't have enough time to do these things. <laughs> they have too much time. <laughs> right, it's, it's a cute thing. It's a funny thing to see this little chipmunk grab on with all his might and maybe get lifted off a couple inches of the ground to run off and then come back and try again. And He can't let the nut go. And so now you know how to ruin a chipmunk's day. <laughs> it's, it's cute, and it is harmless, assuming the person behind the, the fishing rod is, is harmless. But you're getting a picture, this is what temptation is. Of, of, tape, of Satan, the, the devil, tempting us with what we want most. Uh, to bait us with what we want. And it turns out that we are a lot more like the chipmunk than we would care to admit. And it quickly moves from something cute to something to realize that this is the reason the world is the way it is today. It's because we've given in to temptation. That our world in particular is full of all kinds of guilt and pain and shame because we were chasing whatever that nut was in the end of the string. And so I know as I get ready to preach this, it's it's really tempting to say, I want to give you all kinds of strategies, battle strategies. It's been done. There's lots of stuff to read on how to fight temptation. To, to use this passage to get better, to say, how do you say no to the thing you keep saying yes to? How do you actually fight your desires to, to grow in, in holiness, to grow in your obedience to Christ? But the reality is we've all come through another week of successes and failures. And unless your name is Satan or Jesus which it's not, right? Just good news for you there. <laughs> We're supposed to sit back and watch what Jesus does for us first, before you ever say, how do I fight temptation? And to see that, that Jesus is entering into a divine conflict to go, to go and fight, to be fully human, to fight his desires, and to see, for us as sinners to sit back and watch him go to battle with the devil, to, to, to crush the head of the snake, to see that to the victor go the spoils, so to speak. Jesus is fighting for you and, and me. And so we are going to, I'll give you a little bit to talk about how do you fight temptation, but I, I think that the, the, the very core of, of temptation is our desires, and our desires for Christ are inflamed when you see what he has done for you. And so let's, it's very similar to the David and Goliath story. You remember how that goes? I mean, a lot of times it's saying if, if you run out with, with faith and with courage, you too can slay the giants in your life. But you know the story, all the, the spectators, Israel, everyone who's not David or Goliath, they're just sitting there scared, weak, afraid, wimpy, um, for 40 days. And then David shows up and he goes to battle, and it's not until the battle is done that everyone gets courage and, and receives the victory of David. That's how you're supposed to approach the temptation of Christ. We are the spectators, or even worse, as, as um, Jesus is going to say, we are Satan's prisoners. 
He's coming to bind the strong man. He's coming into Satan's house to, to bind up the strong man and steal his loot, which is us. So that, to be, this is how we approach it. We are the weak, the frightened, the addicted. We are everyone who is not Jesus. And we need someone to be just like us, completely human. Real desires. Somebody who gets hungry. Somebody who, who wants to be safe. Somebody who's longing to be great, to be blessed by God because of his greatness. Who can go through every test without turning to God the Father and say, this is too hard, forget you, I'm gone. That's Jesus. Because we need to connect the baptism and temptation of Jesus, because Jesus immediately after his baptism, being filled with the Holy Spirit, with his Father's voice still ringing in his ears, saying, you're my beloved son, you're the one who gives me great joy. That, that's how he goes to war. That because Jesus was baptized, he went out into the wilderness. And so as you get ready to, to read this and meditate on this, I mean, Mark tells us this is immediately after Jesus was baptized. His hair was probably still dripping wet from the river. And he walks out into the desert to face, to face the devil possibly muttering Genesis 3.15, I'm going to crush the head of the snake, do away with evil. And so he's going to go through 40 days of testing. That's what Luke tells us. It's not just three tests. These are just examples of what the tests he went through. Satan kept rebaiting the hook, so to speak. And he's put on all kinds of things. Protection, safety, Food, desires, all these things that we want as human beings, trying to get Jesus to act like Adam, Moses, Abraham, everybody who's ever fallen. And if Jesus cracked it all, we would be without hope. And so let's look at this. How do you fight temptation in light of Christ's victory for us? How do you fight those things that you wish you could stop? Anger, anxiety, uh, despair, addiction. Depression, pride, our neurotic need to be in control, gluttony, greed, envy, sloth. I mean, all these things. How do you fight them? And the answer is, watch, watch Christ. So let's do that. Let's look at him. Let's see what he's going to do. I've got three points. We're going to see the history of temptation. We're going to see the three tests that Jesus faces and passes, and then we'll get some strategies. But as you talk about temptation, there's a history. It's the history of the Old Testament, the history of, of hum, human beings, people like you and me, uh, being offered something that God, being offered a good thing. And out of our desire for that good thing, we turn our backs on God. And the history is everybody has fallen in the wilderness. It's a, this is a battle. Jesus is stepping and taking part in a battle in an old war that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When Satan first sneered at God's command and said, did God really say that? Is he really a good father? Is he really going to bless you if you obey? You know, if, if you disobey him, if you take that forbidden fruit, then you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. And they did. We do, unfortunately. And seeing that the bait was desirable, Eve disobeyed, Adam passively watched and then participated. See, the history of, of temptation even back in the garden, in Adam, is that everybody rejected God's fatherly provision, 
his fatherly protection, and even his pride in them, that his love for them was not enough. So, here's what we're supposed to see. Jesus is going to enter into a battle that everybody has failed. Think about Abraham. Right, immediately after these great promises that he got to be a father of many nations, God, I'll be with you. And out of a sense of self-preservation, he immediately lies, tells everyone that his, his wife is his sister because he, he wanted to save his own skin. Jacob, his whole life was marred by the fact he just wanted somebody to be proud of him, someone to love him, to have God's blessing. And that's all it took. And his life fell apart. David, all it took to put on the hook, for, that Satan put on the hook for him was a beautiful woman, an opportunity to act. Solomon, it was a thousand beautiful women. Israel, again and again, this is the history of the Old Testament. They chose self-preservation. They chose self-gratification and self-magnification. They wanted, it's me, me, me. They're just like us. And the, the story of the Old Testament is one of failure with promise of one or who would succeed. And the reality is, this is the message of the Bible, what's wrong with the world is that we have God's good law to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And if we could just keep that, we'd be fine. But the reality is, there's always something else out there that we wander off and chase, and we end up falling in the desert. So, what is temptation? Let's, let's talk about that. I mean, one, from God's perspective, it's a test. It's a test. It just got, this is Deuteronomy 8.2. It's a, it's a test to see what is in your heart. To, are your affections really for the God you claim to worship? Will you trust God as your Father? Will you hear His comforting voice and obey? Um, how, how, how faithful is your heart to God? From Satan's perspective, temptation is putting a good thing in front of us. And he's saying, what good thing can I put in front of your eyes to tempt you to doubt, to question, and maybe even abandon this good God? Because I know from growing up in the church, I always thought of temptation itself just being a bad thing. Right? That if you are tempted, you're already in trouble. And Jesus shows us that that can't be true. He is, he is the only perfect one, and he was tempted. He was tested. And so temptation, what it is, at its core, is, is putting something good, one of God's gifts, in front of us. Something that God has said, it is good, and you should have this. You, and then we turn it around and say, I want to make it a God thing. I'm going to make it the center of my universe and reject the God who gave it to us. That's what Satan's after. This is a history of temptation. And so along comes the baptism of Jesus, and this is what Jesus is stepping into. He's going to, Satan's going to put three things, I would say three, three things that represent all, all of sin, all the Ten Commandments and our inability to keep it, to try and get Jesus to fail like everyone else before him. And Jesus gets equipped for the battle in his baptism, and that's what it's about. So don't, don't disconnect the baptism and temptation. Jesus was baptized for this battle. And so you look at it in verses 3, 13, that for the first time since the creation of the world, you're seeing the Trinity in action on earth. 
And listen to what the focus is. The Father praises the Son, and then the Holy Spirit comes down on the Son, and all eyes, as Jesus goes off into the desert, are saying, this is the one you need to watch. God himself is telling you and I, this is my beloved Son, watch him. This is your champion, this is your king. This is the one who's going to fight for you. Watch him. And I'll prove it to you. The the three places in the Old Testament, I I gave you the references in your outline. Uh, God is combining these big ideas from the Old Testament. One, who is Jesus? He's the beloved son. And the, the only place in the Old Testament there is a beloved son is in Genesis 22, when Abraham gives up his only beloved son. He's willing to sacrifice him. And in the mystery of the, the narrative, God stops him from killing his own son at the end. And Abraham, knowing he deserves judgment for sin, just walks away saying, I have no idea how I got off scot-free, but the Lord provides. And it's this echo saying, who's going to be the beloved son that comes? God says it's Jesus. The other place that's quoted is Psalm 2-7. Talking about God's king. This is my son, today I have begotten you. And it's this picture of the beloved son who is also God's king, who's going to subdue all evil and restrain all, all the nations. He's going to be given the kingdoms of the earth. And then you get Isaiah 42, where God says in 42.1, This is my servant in whom I'm well pleased, who, who's given the gift of the Holy Spirit, who goes out, to restrain evil, to bring justice to the nations, to change the world. He's going to go out with great power and might, but at the same time as he goes to change the world, he's also going to be so gentle, he's not going to break a bruised reed or put out a wickering candle. And so you think about this, for God, for this person, God's servant, to bring justice to the nations, sin has to be punished. And so he's saying, you have to obey God's law, everybody. In God's world, God's law is king. God is king. Obey his law. And so that's what the Messiah is going to do. But at the same time, he's going to be able to turn around and say to those who broke God's law, he's going to be able to speak words of comfort, that even the most fragile, the most depressed, the most anxious, the most wounded will find healing. And God says, this is my son. It's Jesus. This is God's beloved son. Watch him go to war for you. Somebody completely different. I mean, think about it. Jesus went through the waters of baptism, and baptism represented judgment. And for the first time in the history of the world, somebody went through God's judgment and came out on the other side with praise by virtue of who he is and what he'd done. What kind of life must he have lived up to this point? And this is the moment that Jesus is sent by the Spirit to go to war, to wrestle with the wild things in the desert. And so here's, here's the big idea. Right, we tend to think that if we get our lives together, if we, we do better than we are already doing, if the Holy Spirit would just come down and we'd have this amazing spiritual experience, that our life would get easier. And then you see Jesus, the perfect man, filled with the Holy Spirit, who just had the highest experience you could ever have as a human being. God saying, I'm pleased with you, I am with you. The Trinity himself has come upon you. (laughs) 
And he went out into the desert to fast and be assaulted and attacked and tempted and tested and tried. To suffer. To go to war with his own desires. Say, I I want that, but I can't give in. This is hard. And so what what I think this is teaching us is to have realistic expectations. To show us that being a Christian is not for wimps. That if the Holy Spirit comes down upon you and you are a Christian, you're going to be attacked. You're going to be assaulted. It's, you're going to be tempted. And in many ways, life becomes harder because all of a sudden the Spirit comes in and you're told that you can't want that anymore. Now, now change. Go to war. And we're being called as Christians to walk the same tra- trail that Jesus walked through the desert. To go to war with our desires to see what Satan offers and say, God is better. And it's going to be a battle. It's hard. And so all that to say is if, don't let anyone tell you that God's blessing means your life has to be easy. That's the third temptation. And you know where that came from. We're not going to get better than Jesus and his life was a battle. So let's not just, don't, this is just a caution. Don't disconnect. Jesus' baptism from his temptation. It's because he was baptized. He was being armed for, vic- for war to go out and fight for us, to prepare to suffer, and to be made perfect through his suffering. Now, let's, maybe I should say this again. It shouldn't be a surprise that this is a story that Jesus is entering into. It's a history of temptation and testing to face trials from the devil. This is the story of the Old Testament. And we probably should say again and again, the devil is real. I mean, the, the scriptures are full of it. He, he prowl, he's walking around like a lion looking for someone to devour. That Satan and demons are real. Most of us are not important to have Satan himself show up on our doorstep. But look, this is the reality of how Jesus is described. And I know we live in a culture that sneers at that idea, and maybe you're a doubter. Feel free to ask questions. Please do. But I know in the 21st century, we look back and say, oh, there's, there's demons, there's demon-possessed. You know, maybe it's just mental illness. We have different diagnoses for those same things. And we can get rid of that naive view that the devil is, is real. You know, he's just a metaphor for pride is what we're, what we're told. But I just want to encourage you, as you have these conversations among your friends, and as you wrestle with this, that if you get, away, get a, do away with the, the devil and not give him the credit he's due just by virtue of existing, I mean, you're going you're gonna to have a really low view of people and yourself. Because if there is no devil, if there is no um, intelligent evil out there tempting you, taunting you, that means every, absolutely everything that goes wrong, even in the most extreme circumstances, are because there's something deeply flawed with human beings. And it's all on us. And it, you'll, you'll have an even lower view of, of human beings than the Bible. When I mean, you look at the history of the world, there's a trail of blood and violence and selfishness and misery. The nations rise up against nations. Some of this stuff is so irrational, so evil, it's almost inexplicable. Why would they do that? And you do away with the devil and, and, and his demons and darkness. 
you're left with despair. And if you try and say, well, people, it's just some people who are bad, then you're, then you're playing the same game <laughs> of saying, yeah, you have a really low view of human beings. Of course, the other side of it is you can't blame Satan for all of our moral failures. Right? Especially in temptation when we fail. We like to say the devil made me do it. I mean, you've probably heard there's, there's been widespread public horrific crimes where people will try and say, it's not my fault. The devil made me do it. But then you're taking away responsibility for evil and sin, which God says temptation is... Temptation gets you in trouble because you chase what you want. And so as we talk about the devil as he faces Jesus here in a moment, you're either going to go on one side or the other. You're going to make too much of the devil and his demons and look for him behind every corner, and you're going to drive yourself crazy and give him so much more attention than he deserves. He is a defeated foe. Or, like our culture, is much more tempted to just ignore him completely. And then you're going to get blindsided. So we're called to just deal with the devil as, as the Bible does. He's real. We can't see him. There's an unseen battle going on around us, but we know the gospel is true, and, the, and because we are in Christ, we are safe, and that's where we run. And so now let's look at the, the, the temptation here. Let's watch the beloved son go into the desert to face the same trials of God's people of old. Because that's what the 40 days are trying to remind us of. As Israel's wandering in the desert, and that nearly everyone failed. Well, everyone did fail, only a few believed. Right, so Jesus has three temptations. Let's look at the first one. Right, Jesus is hungry. He's been in the desert. The desert is the place where, it's, where food is near impossible to find. He's been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And I think we as Christians need to hear this. Jesus was so human, he was actually ravenously hungry. Right, as, as we get ready to look at this, we like to, those of us that are American Christians, who we just like to let Jesus off the hook and say, of course he passed the test. He's the Son of God. Right, he's divine. But that's not what the picture that Matthew says. He was hungry. And he was tempted by hunger. That means he, was, he was actually had a desire he was tempted by Satan's offer. So Jesus is fully God and fully man, and everything he does here as a human being uh, to do something that we can never do in the power of the Holy Spirit, but he's doing so as a, as a person like you. I mean, how do you react when you're hungry? And we have a word for it. It's hangry. <laughs> we get cranky. We get irritable. or no fun to be around. And when, when you're hungry, it's all you can do to not think about food. This is where Jesus is at. And I fasted 30 hours with teenagers as a youth pastor. That, that's like 75% of our conversation. <laughs> is what are we going to eat at the end of 30 hours? At the other 25%, they're probably sleeping. <laughs> and it's at this point when Jesus is physically vulnerable, tired, worn out, weak, uh, longing for food, waiting for his father to provide for him to meet his needs. That's when Satan says here, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. All right? You've got power, why don't you use it for yourself? You, 
You just saw you were the Son of God. You've got the Holy Spirit coursing through you. You can do what you want. That's the temptation. Jesus, will you use your power to feed yourself, or will you trust that God will provide in his time? And I know to us that seems really harmless. If you're hungry, why don't you just go get food? Right? But, but Jesus' mission is to use his power to save others, not to save himself. And if, if he starts here with the small things of using his power for himself, you're going to see quickly it amps up. And so do you know what this temptation is about? It's about your desires. I appreciated Jill talking about coveting. That's what this is about. Hunger. Desire. What do you want? And Russell Moore says that the first temptation is not just about consuming food. It's about consuming, period. It's about our endless appetite for stuff. About our cravings, our physical desires that say, I need this right now. That's what Jesus is fighting. Because right? remember, Jesus is walking the same trail as Israel in the desert. Food is the ever-present, all-consuming need when you're out there. And in, in Exodus 16, right after being freed from slavery, they, they complained to God. You, you promised to be our father. We were better off in Egypt as slaves. And you see, they grumbled and complained when they didn't have food. And when God did provide food, they hoarded it and didn't listen to his commands. The whole time they were angry at God that their cravings were there and were never fully satisfied, even when they were satisfied. I mean, it's this picture that there is something deeply wrong with you and with me, that we can be full or we can be empty and still not be happy with God's provision. Right. So there's a lot more going on here than just bread. It's about our inability to control our physical cravings. So think about who the, the picture of the tempter, for example. The tempter in the Bible is a snake. And how does a snake eat? He just full-on opens his mouth, swallows it whole. He's pure appetite. That's all he is. He's, his ravenous desire just consumes. That's what's become, that's us. And if you... I can prove it to you. Why is it that people in debt still overspend? Or why does our country spend more money on, on adult content on the internet than all of professional sports combined? Like billions of dollars every year. Or why do we have so much stuff and still feel like we need more? Why are we so not easily satisfied? I mean, kids, why do you get so bored with your Christmas presents a week later or hours later? Maybe you're still not bored. But you will. You'll grow out of them. And so Satan's temptation to Jesus is, you have these desires, you're hungry, just, just act. God made you this way, just do it. You have to act now or you will die. That kind of, that kind of desperation. And where we all would have given in and have given in, Jesus, Jesus stands firm. Because this is where we've all been slain. We've been destroyed by our own desires. We feel like the physical is right now. I have to have this. If I don't have this right now, I'll, I'll be miserable, and it will be God's fault. <laughs> and then we enter into the cycle of guilt and shame when we do give in. <coughs> Say, I want, and then I get it, and then I'm not happy, and I have that horrific feeling of regret and misery. Very similar to overeating. 
All because we don't trust God to provide. So how does Jesus overcome? Look at this. He quotes Deuteronomy 8.3. He says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I mean, Jesus' test is, Jesus, will you in your heart trust that God is a good Father, that he will provide? And Jesus responds to Satan with this test to say, I'm more than what I want. I'm more than just a physical being. I mean, this is completely countercultural that just because I have physical desires, it does not mean that I have to act on them. I mean, Jesus has the self control to publicly say, What's more important than my hunger right now is that I trust that God is my Father and He knows my circumstances and that He will provide in His time. His word satisfies my soul, it's enough for me. That's just the first one. I, mean, I had such a hard time preparing for this because it was, I've got 40 minutes to try and cram all of human existence in. That's, right? It's just not possible. How are you doing? We do not live by bread alone. We're more than our physical desires. That's the first temptation. We are, we are tempted to live our lives for self-gratification. And Jesus says there is more to life than that. And your guilt and shame and misery are telling you that. Let's look at the second one. This will be quicker. The temptation for self-preservation, right? That Jesus is taken to the top of the temple and there's a backside that actually looks down into a valley. It's a couple hundred feet. It's this terrifying, this drop that Josephus says will actually make you dizzy if you stand at the top and look down. And Satan says, all right, Jesus, you're the son of God. I see you know the scriptures. Let's try this one. I'm going to just throw a Bible passage at you. Just jump. The Bible says God won't let you get hurt. The angels will catch you. You won't let your feet get hurt. He won't let you stub your toe. And he's quoting Psalm 91. And so the, the push is, if God is your father, you wouldn't suffer. If he's a good father, he's going to protect you at all times from everything. Listen, listen to what the Bible says. He's your refuge. He's your fortress. He's going to protect you. He's going to keep you. You're going to be able to walk on, on the lion, on the adder, on the snake. And this is other parts of Psalm 91. And so this is a real temptation for Jesus. He's in a dangerous place. He's out there with the wild animals. Mark tells us that. And Jesus wants what every human being wants. You want to be safe. I don't want to always be looking over my shoulder to know what, what bad things going to happen next. I want to know I'm loved. Right? And so we, we turn it around and look at our circumstances and say, God, you promised to be a good father. Where are you? Joan and I watched this terrifying video. You can find it on YouTube of the BBC's Planet Earth 2. Of these iguanas running for their lives from snakes. I don't know if you've seen it. It's, it's gripping. It's better than the Fast and Furious. <laughs> But these young iguanas on the island are born in the sand, inland, right? And they peek their heads out of the sand and look around and everything seems safe until they start moving. And then out of nowhere in these, in these dark lava rocks come these ginormous, like four foot long racer snakes. And like I said, this is an action movie. These poor little iguanas are running for their lives, trying to get to the shore to try to, to outrun these snakes that are leaping, dodging, snapping, some of them get swallowed whole, some of them get, there's one that gets tackled and squeezes out and jumps from rock to rock and finally makes it. 
And what's haunting about the whole thing is there's no parents around in the midst of all the brutality. Their parents are just waiting on the other side, waiting for them to get through it. So where's their father? (laughs) I mean, I know it's the animal kingdom, but isn't that not how we think? God, you promised to be with me. You promised to protect me. Why am I suffering? I don't trust you, so I'm going to try and control my situation through my own efforts, through my own anxiety. I'm terrified. God, where are you? So Satan says, you are the son of God. Where's your father? Will he protect you? And so here's my question. If you knew that if you jumped off this high point and God would absolutely protect you, the whole world would see that God is real, that you would experience his safety and his love publicly, you could, you could have this experience, you could stand on the rest of your life to say, God is my father, he will not let me get harmed. Would you jump? I mean, I don't like heights, but I probably would. If I could have that rock-solid assurance that God is a good father and will protect me. And Jesus turns around and sees right through it, and he sees that God never promises to, to keep us out of trouble. He promises to be with us in trouble and to lead us out of it through, while being with us. And so he quotes again Deuteronomy. Again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's exactly what we do when we're afraid. To put God in the dock, in the witness stand, and say, God, how, how are you being a good God right now? And Jesus refuses to do that, even in the midst of danger. So Jesus here is trusting that no matter what kind of suffering he's sent into, God will be there and see him through it, even up to crucifixion and death. And so the first, the first temptation is trust that God will provide while you're hungry, while you have desires. Trust God's protection is the second one, even while it hurts. And Jesus comes through that. And the third temptation is to trust God's pride in you, even when you don't have it yet or you don't have anything. And so I'm using this counterintuitively. But you look at the third temptation, most of us wouldn't turn around and say, yeah, I don't want to worship Satan. That's a bad idea. It's kind of obvious. But this is a real temptation. Jesus wanted the kingdoms. He wanted the fame. He wanted the glory. And that's a good thing. That you and I, wanting, to be, wanting someone to be proud of us, wanting to be accepted, wanting to have the honor, wanting to have power and influence, that's part of being made in God's image. And so that's what this third temptation is about. It's about pride. It's about self-glorification, making much of ourselves so that... What would we do to get someone, to get the world to say they're somebody? That's what Satan's tempting. Russell Moore calls this, um, this whole idea of why we'd rather be magnified than crucified. I want to be great. I don't want to decrease. I don't want God to be the one to have to give me honor. I want to get it myself. And that's why it takes us all down. I I remember this moment in college when I was, I landscaped for for a couple summers. I just meant I would just walk 10 to 12 hours behind a lawnmower and I would daydream all day long because you got the earphones in, there's nothing else to do. And basketball was my thing then and I would dream of of the time when I almost hit the game-winning shot and in my head I always made it. It's my moment of glory. And there was a particular time, this is burned in my head, 
As you know, I was playing through some scenario where I came out the hero in a basketball game. And then out of nowhere, a tractor trailer went by and the tire exploded like 20 feet from me. And so I went from up here, cloud nine, to running for my life behind this lawnmower because <laughs> I thought I was, someone was shooting at me. Right? That's glory. This is the story Jesus is stepping into. How great do you want to be? And Satan just puts that, that out there and say, what, were, what are you willing to do to get that fame? And we get ourselves in all kinds of trouble. And it's often not as, well, the fall is not as, uh, as silly as, as being scared. Right. That's why we have the, the corruption on Wall Street. Yeah, I want to be great. I'm going to take risks, and, and I don't care who gets hurt in the process. And so Jesus has offered the chance for glory, for greatness, for recognition, fame. All the kingdoms of the world, all you have to do is worship Satan, and you can avoid the cross. You, know, you can get the kingdoms for yourself. You don't need God the Father to give it to you. And Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve, seeing that he is wholly committed to his Father. So, are you amazed yet? Knowing your own heart, seeing how Jesus stood firm with real desires? I mean, how do you face your own temptations? And this is how I'm going to end. You've got to deal with the humbling of the gospel. The whole point of temptation, the temptation of Christ, is that Jesus passed every test that we could never pass because we are enslaved to our cravings, we are enslaved to being in control, and we long, we're willing to do absolutely anything to be made much of. And the proverbial nail in the coffin is the cross. You think about what Jesus came to do, to be God's, the means by which God provides his grace for us, protect us, uh, to make God proud of us as a gift. And we turn to Jesus and crucified him. Because Jesus, the bread of life, didn't look appetizing. And we killed him. Right? And so part of the humbling of, of the gospel is, is when you approach temptation to say, I am incredibly vulnerable I am out in the desert with nothing to fight, fight with. And the gospel tells us that. The second, look at the irony of the gospel. This is the beauty of it. Jesus, in the temptations, refuses to use the power for himself. And you don't see this more clearly on the cross. That is, Jesus was mocked and even made fun of for thinking of others before himself. Thinking of you. Right? They said he saved others. He, couldn't, he can't save himself. He provided for other people. Why can't he provide for himself? He trusts in God. Where is God now? Or look at Jesus, cursed on a tree. If you are the Son of God, why don't you come down? You're the King of the Jews. Where is your kingdom now? All these kind of things were thrown at him as Jesus setting aside his power to fight for you and me. Really, it's because Jesus refused to use his power to gratify himself, to preserve himself, to magnify himself. That's why we have hope and temptation. Because even if you fail, you can get up again. And so the strategy for fighting temptation begins with this radical confession that you can't do it on your own. 
You need the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus bought for you with his blood. And ironically, that's the most Christ-like thing you can do. Isn't that what Jesus prayed? Father, apart from you, I can't do anything. I deliberately taught this text this way because I want you to see that fighting temptations means we have to work our hearts warm in awe and love for the one who won the battle for us so that we, well, it puts our temptations in perspective. Trying to turn what looks attractive to see that when you see the blood of Christ, it's actually revolting. See, the gospel tells you that you, by faith, you are a son of God, fully accepted and loved as if you'd never betrayed God for a cheap meal or to feel safe for a moment. And that's true of you always if you are in Christ. See, by faith we are made sons and daughters of the King, a good Father who provides and protects and is proud of you in Christ, even when you wanted nothing of it. And that, that's the power to fight. That's the fuel for the battle for you as you go out to wrestle with your own desires. And so strategies, I mean, I'm just saying believe the gospel, but that's where it starts. That's how Matthew presents it. You can use scripture, absolutely. You can memorize it, learn it, um, rewire the, the way your mind thinks so you can see what is good and what is bad and how to use the good gifts that God has given you. But the word of God for us on this side of the cross is the good news that's preached to us according to Peter, that Christ suffered on your behalf to be with you in your temptation. And it's Christ's perfect obedience, not ours. So do you see it? God rewarded Christ, and because you are found in Christ, it means he's rewarding you through what he's done, even here in the desert. And so go and learn what it means, that Christ has fulfilled all righteousness. He's done everything that God has commanded him. And now that you are found in him by faith, may that be the fuel for your battle. Let's pray. Father, it's a humbling thing to, to realize our weakness. And yet as we see God, uh, Christ's strength for us, I pray you would help us trust him. I pray that the gospel would become sweet to our taste and that we would long for the bread of life who was broken for us so that we might live. And so I pray for those right now who are in the, in the thick of temptation of going through the cycles of guilt and, and fear and doubt and, and wondering if you're a good father. I pray your spirit would come and fill them with your presence. They would know that you are good and you are with them and that you have promised to be faithful and to never leave them, to leave us, even to the end of the age. And so we look forward to the day, Lord, when we will no longer be tempted by, our, by what we want, by uh, be tempted to preserve ourselves or be tempted to make much of ourselves. And thanks be to Christ uh, that he is carrying us home. In Jesus' name, amen.